Yes, I was that kid. Um, yeah, so uh, Cadence International actually used to be called uh, Overseas Christian Servicemen Centers, uh, OCSE, which is a mouthful. Um, but we started doing youth ministry and children's ministry and some other things other than just hospitality houses. So uh, calling it Overseas Christian Servicemen Centers didn't really make sense anymore. So that's when we switched to Cadence International. Um, so I am not, don't worry, I'm not going to just bore you with missionary stories. Unless, of course, you love that type of thing, then uh, talk to me later. Um, my wife, as I was preparing for coming and talking with you guys, my wife was like, oh, yeah, just share this story about this soldier and this family and all that. And I was like, you know what? If I were you guys sitting listening to someone speak, I would probably get bored of that. Uh, like, I feel like there should be something more, an encouragement, uh, you know, word from God. And, and so that's more what I wanted to bring, but I will pull cadence and stories into it. Uh, one, because I just can't get away from it. So I, I have been living in military communities my entire life, uh, apart from college between 98 and 2003. Uh, I was in Portland, Oregon, wasn't near a military base, but whenever I could, my then girlfriend, now wife, and I would go up to Fort Lewis and I would use my uh, dependent military ID card to get onto Fort Lewis so I could just feel at home uh, during that five and a half years. So uh, for me, the stories will come back. Um, so just in case you didn't tell or didn't hear, my name's Anthony Amore. I work for Cadence International. I'm, I'm getting my brain back here into the outline uh, because I am very much like Doug the dog from Up. Uh, when a squirrel goes by, I will look at it and chase it. Uh, Tucker, if you heckle me, that will divert me, and that's totally fine, but I'm just preparing you. It'll take me a second to get back on, so no worries there. Um, and uh, just in case you didn't know, uh, my family, uh, we are missionaries that you guys support as a church body, as the body of Christ here. Uh, we support you. Lord willing, at the end of this message, that will still be the case. Um, but we'll see. Uh, so my family, they couldn't be here. Uh, my son had a marching band thing. My youngest, six-year-old, she was playing a soccer game. And my eldest is in the choir and had, uh, she is... This is her dream, we're not forcing it. She is MIT bound and taking way too hard of a school load. So she is occupied with homework and, and doing all that type of stuff. So unfortunately, the prettier part and smarter part of my family could not be here. You get me. Um, Self-deprecation is a part of my DNA. Um, however, what I'm trying to break out of my DNA are disclaimers. My wife told me and a counselor told me I need to stop disclaiming. So I'm not going to, these next few statements are not disclaimers, but they are context. So hopefully it will give you an idea. <laughs> if you put a new name on something, right, it totally changes it. A rose by any other name is, well, anyways. Uh, so let me give you three things about myself to help you suffer my message. Uh, one is that I am a youth pastor at heart. Okay, I absolutely love teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers, uh, mainly because I act and think like one probably. Uh, I hear men mature about six months after death, so I'm excited for that. Um, very happy uh, to experience that. Uh, not the death part, but the maturity uh, thing. Um, I'm heavily discussion and relationally oriented, so um, when we switched from after 12 years of doing youth ministry overseas on military bases, we started running a uh, hospitality house. That's kind of the main vehicle that Cadence does ministry through. It's usually a large house that's close to a military base, and it's a home away from home for military and their family. Uh, so the idea is we open our house, we have food together, we sing together, we read Bible, the Bible together, we have discussions, we would do karaoke, board games. We just live life uh, together with the military people and their family. And so my, uh, my wife and I and our kids, they were very much a part of it. They helped set up. Uh, my eldest would do puppet, uh, like Bible studies type, or Bible lessons uh, for the children's ministry. We had about 35 kids in our attic. <laughs> that was the children's ministry area at the time. Um, and she, she did Boo the Puppet 
Uh, and, and so and when we left, she actually got to take Boo with her. So we have Boo at our house still because it was COVID and ministry had stopped for a little bit because of German uh, and military COVID restrictions. So, um, the, but the switch from youth ministry to adult ministry was kind of hard for our adults for the first year and hard for me uh, because I like to talk with people. Uh, so I may sound like I'm doing that here and you could feel free to respond uh, but I realize that's not the general format. Uh, but we did have about 50 adults in our basement uh, every Friday night that we would do a large group discussion with. Uh, and we would go through scripture together and uh, talk about it and just try to experience it. Uh, really, the biggest thing is afresh, because if you've been experiencing the Bible and you've been a Christian for a long time, uh, you can kind of just be too familiar with it at times to the point where you're like, yeah, I already know that. I already know the answer. There's nothing really revelatory. But I don't know about you. Every time I go to the Bible these days, I'm like, how did I not know that? It really says that? Like, that is so different than what I've been thinking, what I locked in when I was, you know, in Bible college and growing up. And, and now I'm looking at it again, and I'm like, this is just, what is going on here? Um, Maybe it supports a conspiracy theory that a friend of mine has about the Hadron Collider being a time machine, and people keep going back and changing little words in the Bible. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so, buddy. I think our memories are just horrible, uh, and we, we get familiar and disconnected. But uh, the other thing is that, and I've already touched on this, I'm a verbal processor, uh, and uh, I'm easily distracted. <laughs> so again, those aren't disclaimers, but I'm giving you context for what you're about to experience here. Um, so. The encapsulation of what I want you to walk away with today, uh, no matter the stories, no matter the scripture that we listen to, is the phrase, be curious, not judgmental. Amen. Okay? Be curious, not judgmental. Is anybody recently familiar with that phrase, maybe because of a popular TV show? Anyone? Oh, this is scary. I don't know if I want to reveal what show it is. <laughs> There's a lot of cussing in it, but bear in mind, I grew up on a Navy base. My mom is a recovered alcoholic and drug addict, uh, so cussing does not really like affect me or whatever, but the, that's the main downside of the show. It's called Ted Lasso. Uh, Ted Lasso, uh, there are so many great themes throughout, reconciliation, forgiveness, redemption, uh, how we deal with life struggles. So it, it's a great show. I'm not necessarily promoting If you watch it, you're like, what? Oh, yeah, we need to stop supporting that guy. Um, but anyways, uh, it was recently brought up, so I do know a lot of people, there's stickers with that phrase that are going around, be curious, not judgmental. Uh, does anybody know the original, where that comes from? No? Okay, or, you know? All right, so he attributes it in the show to Walt Whitman, which is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the amount of quotes that get attributed to Walt Whitman or C.S. Lewis, it's really crazy. If it sounds like pithy, it's probably not Lewis, and it's probably not Whitman. Um, so it actually, the earliest trace of be curious, not judgmental, uh, goes back to the 1970s in a, a, one of those uh, advice columns. Um, and the, the letter was about uh, parents who found birth control, contraceptives, in their 17-year-old daughter's bedroom. And so they were asking for advice, well, what do I do? So now I'm going to pose it to you. You don't have to answer, but I want you to think about it. Let's say you go into your kids, if you have kids. If you don't, I'm, I'm encouraging you to use your imagination. Okay, I'm a parent right now. My child is living in my house, they're not married, and they have birth control in their room. What do I do? How do I respond? I'm going to take a sip of something while you think of that for a second. Um, there could be multiple responses. One, you grab it. What is this? That could be a response. Seems a little judgmental. Uh, Maybe that's appropriate. Maybe it's just, instead of judgmental, we'll call it parenting. Uh, you know, that, again, you change the name, it means a whole different thing. Um, I, the, the other thing that I don't know if you've been processing is that this is the 70s, 1970s, okay? 
I actually have encouraged my eldest daughter to be on birth control because she's got some skin issues. And I know that my wife, when she was a teenager, she used birth control in order to help deal with acne and stuff. Like it helps to regulate hormones so that you don't break out as much. So if I were to find contraceptives, <laughs> birth control in my daughter's room, I'd be like, hey, did you take it today? <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't forget kind of thing. But in the 70s, it meant a whole different thing. And so then you're like, the question is, well, are they having sex? Like, are they try what are they trying to prevent? What, what are they doing? And, and the thing is, is that a lot of times we kind of skip that questioning part and move straight to assuming. And, and my, uh, my uh, theory is that it comes from the Garden of Eden. Okay, so you have, in the garden, you have a whole bunch of stuff, uh, tons of trees, beautiful land. Your, your job is to walk around and admire what's going on. Although, uh, you know, we, I'll get into this a little bit later more in depth, but uh, we're also invited to tend the garden. So I'm assuming, you know, you kind of see a branch that, oh, well, if I take this off, then maybe it'll grow more fruit here, that kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that that's kind of what our job is, is that as we're gardeners in the Garden of Eden, we enjoy the garden, we uh, eat the garden, uh, and then we do what we can to make it grow even more life. Uh, and so that's what we're doing. Uh, but then we decide, uh, you know what, God said this thing. I don't really know if I truly believe that I'm going to die or I, I really want to know what this knowledge of good and evil is. So then we, get, we eat of that tree and don't, don't kid yourselves. If you were there, you would have done it too. Uh, we can't really just blame Eve and Adam for that. Um, and, and so then we take that and we get this knowledge of what good and evil is. But there's a problem with that knowledge. We have that knowledge, but there's one thing we can't do that God can, and that's see into the hearts of the people that we interact with. We don't know the motivations of why people do the things that they do. So when someone comes up and, uh, well, actually we had it up here, uh, someone accidentally hit their elbow on my music stand, and they were hurt. Now that person could have turned around and smacked me and been like, why did you put that in my way in order to hurt me? Or they could have turned around and said, ow, that hurt. Your music stand hurt me. Uh, why, why was it there? It's like, oh, it was just there. Sorry, like, I, you know, I, I didn't do anything. And, but do you see how that goes? Like, things have, why, why did that person cut me off in the road? Well, that's because they're a jerk and they don't know how to drive, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the answer. Like, there is no other answer. Uh, it's not like they're pregnant and trying to get to the hospital quickly. It's not like uh, they're just, you know, slightly distracted and didn't see me. Those are not acceptable reasons. The reasons that they're a jerk and they want to hurt me and make my life harder. And so that's where the problem in my thought process stems from, is that we have this knowledge of good and evil, but we don't have the ability to see into people's hearts. And so then we make these assumptions about why people do things, and we jump to conclusions. We become judgmental. And, and we skip over the whole curiosity part. We don't ask questions. Um, and so that's my encouragement for you today. If you forget everything else that I say today, just remember the phrase, be curious, not judgmental. But is it biblical? Well, let's, let's look at a few scriptures. So, uh, actually, again, I'm going to take a sip, and I'm going to ask you to think, can you think of any passages that talk about anything in terms of curiosity or especially being judgmental or judging? You can think about it. You don't have to answer. You can if you want, but... Sorry, let me give you a good view of this. <laughs> don't worry, it'll play. It'll play. Um, so Romans 2, uh, verses 1 through 4. There have no excuse, O man, or O humans, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. And the context of this, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. Let me finish this. Uh, we know that, that God, his judgment rightly falls on those who practice such things, who practice unrighteousness. 
Do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is what leads to repentance? So the context of this passage is really that all of us fall into this unrighteousness. So it's uh, the words that have been difficult for me in the past probably five to ten years is them, us, they, those, we. Then we get into this whole thing of like, well, who's we? Well, that's obviously us here, right? We're the best ones. Does everybody agree with that in this room? We are the best. They are not. Okay? So then when we see passages like Romans 1 where Paul is telling us about the condition of mankind, we look at others and we say, those are the unrighteous people. And we look at ourselves and we say, well, we're the righteous ones. And really, Paul is, he's going over all these different categories, even to include those who disobey their parents. I always love that phrase. There's murderers, there's adulterers, there's people who do all kinds of evil, even those who disobey their parents. Like, okay, all right. I didn't think that was that big of a deal, but all right, I guess I, I better up my game. I just murder somebody instead. Like, I'm already disobeying my parents. Uh, and so, really, he's reminding us in Romans 2, like, you j- just don't judge. God is the one who judges. He's the one who judges. And his judgment is righteous. It's good. Live in that. You just try to, try to do good. And <laughs> don't get yourself killed, uh, at least earlier than you're supposed to. And this kind of leads me to one of my favorite definitions of sin. So, Definitions of sin, I'll throw a few out. One is uh, missing the mark, right? Uh, failing, um, doing things that are contrary to the character of God uh, or against his will. My personal favorite definition of sin is sin is what you do that I don't do. That's what sin is. Uh, and, and the thing is, is, you know, theologically, I've got all these different answers, but when it comes down to it in the heat of the moment, when I, like, what I actually believe, I believe that I'm right, and that when you go against the things that I think are right, then you're sinful. Yeah. Um, and that's, if we're honest, that's probably how most of us operate in life. Um, and then finally, don't miss the last statement of this passage it's not the judgment of God that leads to repentance. Yeah, that's right. Amen. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. So be curious, not judgmental. You can tell which of those is easier to be kind in <laughs> than the other. Uh, in case you don't buy the Romans passage, Matthew 7, uh, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Okay, so you can judge. Go for it if that's what you want to do, but just know that's going to come back on you. The way that you judge people, that's how you're going to be judged. Um, When you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye, or or how can you say to your brother, let me take, I I did this for a lesson one time with our teens. We had a big, like, you know, two by four kind of thing, and and someone held like a little, little piece, and I came with the two by four and was trying to move around. Here, let me get that for you, you know, like grabbing it and, you know, I'm smacking people around with the two by four. Like you could physically see the destruction that you cause when you try to operate that way. Uh, You don't take care of yourself, but you focus on what uh, other people. So yeah, you're welcome to judge, but it's going to come back on you. Uh, It seems like the inverse of this then holds. So if you don't judge others, then you won't be judged. It sounds good to me, too. It sounds heretical to some people. <laughs> um, but it sounds good to me. Uh, once I get through this, I'll, I'll give you another scripture passage that might continue to support this, but we'll see. Uh, again, we'll just keep asking questions. I think the story of the woman in adultery, getting caught in adultery, really falls into play here. So the law backed up the religious leaders uh, to stone the woman for what she According to the law, they could have killed her. They were totally uh, within their rights to do that. Uh, and Jesus, what's that? Yeah, but that's, that's just a red herring, right? Right? Like, 
we don't really, like guys are idiots anyways. You want to kill them no matter what, you know? Um, guys need justification to kill, I don't know, am I going too far down the rabbit hole? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reel it back, sorry. You're absolutely right. That, that has always bothered me, uh, but, but that's the thing. We pick and choose who we want to protect. Like, like when my wife uh, drives faster than the speed limit, I am less judgmental of her than I am of the guy who I don't know who's driving over the speed limit. Um, mainly because I have to live with my wife and I want peace to be there. I don't know who that guy is. He could, if I'm, if I'm honest in my anger, he could die for all I care. Uh, I, I, this is not who I really am. I don't want that. <laughs> but if you go with me, that's where we go in our anger at times. Like, I could kill you right now. You know, uh, I'm so angry. And that's, you know, Jesus addresses that with the hate. Uh, but Jesus, in that situation, he just poses a question. Uh, he basically says, do you want to be judged the way that you're judging this woman? If you're without sin, go ahead and throw a stone. You know, do you want to be judged the way that you're judging her? So he posed that question. They obviously, uh, they respond by not killing her. And then Jesus, uh, he, uh, he told her to come to him. Uh, by the way, uh, sorry, let me make sure I didn't skip over something because I feel like this is a little illogical. Uh, then we look at Jesus' response, and Jesus, go with me now, because here's the deal. You probably know the story, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to insert what our answer is today. If this same situation happened and we were in Jesus' shoes, as the church in general usually, or as Christians, uh, then we would tell her, uh, oh, no one's here, no one stoned you? Okay, well then, come here, come with me, pray this prayer. Uh, let me make sure your theology is completely accurate. Um, you need to be baptized. Uh, I'm about to, if we're Jesus in this situation, uh, I'm about to die, but then I'll rise again, and then I'm going to ascend, and then this group that's been following me, they're going to start a church. You need to get plugged in there. Uh, they're probably going to do small groups. Make sure you get in a small group. Um, and then uh, make sure you have accountability uh, within that small group, okay? And that's what Jesus basically said then, right, to her? What's that? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and, and, and make sure you give the right amount of money. Um, or this is what he said, which might be more biblically accurate. Um, no one's condemning you? I guess I don't either. Uh, so go and sin no more. And if I were to not paraphrase that, but kind of update it for today's language, basically he said, hey, there's no need to punish you if no one is making a judgment. So just go and live better. Okay? Um, and, and going back to the, we like the whole idea of, well, if I don't judge people, then maybe I won't be judged. Look at Luke 6, 37. And this is one of those passages I was preparing for this. I was like, how have I not seen this scripture before? How many times have I read the Gospels? Like, and, and this is not a brag thing. This is a, I went to Bible college, which was basically seminary. I've spent decades doing ministry and studying scripture. You would think I would have known that. Like, I've read through the Bible front to back over 20 times, that kind of thing. How did I not see this? But love your enemies and do good, and lend to people not expecting to get anything back, and your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Who are the ungrateful and evil? All of us. He is kind to all of us. And then here's, here's, here's the kicker. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful, judging others. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Uh, it seems to be holding up, man. Uh, if, if you don't judge, you won't be judged. If you don't condemn, you won't be condemned. If you forgive people, you will be forgiven. It's so hard to do. Because right now, we're all making judgments. How is this person responding? How, how, like, why is this guy wearing 
a, a sweatshirt with weird cartoon characters on it. Doesn't he know he's in front of a church speaking to people? Why is he wearing a ball cap? Is that alcohol in his drink? <laughs> what do you got to hide, buddy? Like, it, yeah. Oh, yeah. That reminds me of Cheech and Chong. Uh, sorry if this reveals too much. Again, son of like all alcoholic and drug addicts and stuff where uh, Cheech goes up and tastes the judge's water or coffee, and he's like, this is vodka, man. Uh, this is Red Bull, not spiked, just in case uh, you need. So kind of all of this is intentional. I'm seeing how judgmental I can make you of me uh, as a little bit of this process. So uh, just out of curiosity, and there's absolutely no problem with this, how many of you were actually a little confused by my outfit at all? All right, cool. I appreciate it. Thanks for your honesty. And, and I appreciate that actually what I did, did something. <laughs> now the question is, the question is, is did you ask yourself why I was wearing this because you were judging and condemning me? Or did you ask yourself this because you were curious? You can ask the question. That's not a problem. But the intention and the motivation needs to be out of understanding and curiosity, not out of con condemnation and judgment. And even if you did that, <coughs> even if you did that, it's okay. I intentionally drew you. So to be honest, this, the fault is on me because I was an intentional stumbling block, um, which I'm pretty sure scripture is clear about not being. Um, but this is a safe space, right? It's a safe space. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take this off because it's stinking hot. <laughs> it really did take forever to get that part. Sorry. Let me make sure I don't. <laughs> Thanks. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Um, yeah, I'll just throw that there. Gravity works. Um, so let me tell you just real quick, because again, we're encouraging curiosity. We're encouraging reasoning and understanding. Um, let me tell you why I wore things like that. First of all, the ball cap, it's, it's got a Cadence International logo, uh, and branding sometimes matters. <laughs> Uh, I also have known a lot of people who have been traumatized and don't go to church because when they go as they are, which some of them don't have nice clothing, uh, they don't feel like they can go and fit and belong in a church when they don't look right. And so actually I do a lot of times wear a ball cap and a sweatshirt, not usually with anything distracting on it, usually it's pretty plain, but a sweatshirt, jeans, and a ball cap uh, because I'm usually part of a worship team of some sort, uh, so that people can see someone up front who looks relaxed and just normal. <laughs> I don't act normal, so when they talk to me, they see there's a problem. But <clears throat> based on how I'm dressed, then hopefully they'll feel comfortable and uh, have a place there. So that's one of the reasons why I do that. The reason why I wore the anime sweatshirt, one was obviously for the, the teaching point, <laughs> uh, but two is because of the people that I work with. Uh, so as a youth pastor in general, teens like cartoons and anime. My children especially, I have a 15-year-old daughter, 13-year-old son, uh, they love anime, especially my eldest. She absolutely loves it. Uh, and so I wear stuff like that. I've got like anime shirts and other things so that I have a connection with her. Uh, another reason... <clears throat> is, do you know the average age of the military, soldier, airman, uh, sailor? Average age? 18 to 26. 22, like that's a good median. Uh, but yeah, you've got 18 to 26, which these days with this generation, uh, it's still high school aged. Okay, College is just high school number two these days. Um, because, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not actually even being facetious, I do recruiting now uh, for Cadence, so, uh, and as a part of that, just in case, because I struggle with this, uh, my value as a recruiter <laughs> missionary versus someone who was overseas and actually kind of on the front lines, if you will, um, as supporting us in this ministry, which we probably will go back to field ministry after this assignment, but in supporting us, you actually are supporting all of Cadence, 
because uh, our job is to try and find people to make sure that the ministries stay going and we can start new ones. So uh, I'm speaking that not to just give you clarification, but to help make myself feel better uh, of being a missionary who recruits uh, other missionaries and not someone who does what we've been doing for the past two decades. Um, but when I have, like, when soldiers hear that I'm a missionary and they see me in chapel and they see that I wear stuff like that, they want to hang out. They want, like, they feel now comfortable, uh, like, oh, okay, you're not like what I think of normally as a missionary, some stuck-up, colonizing, you know, imperialistic type person who has an agenda and just doesn't care about me at all. Um, So I do have a purpose for those things. Now that you know that purpose, hopefully that helps you feel better about the choices that I make with my life. and, and that's the type of thing of normally when you understand why someone does something, you get it. And whether you agree with it or not, at least you understand. And, and here's the thing that always gets me, and this came up a lot, and I know elections are here, and it's 9-11 today, uh, so politics, government, nationalism, patriotism, all those type of things are going around. There's multiple sides and, and Jesus makes something clear, and it's, it's really interesting. He says it, and, and I think because of the indoctrination that some of us get, maybe some of you haven't, but I grew up, and I was, it was heavily enforced. Humanity is just horrible. We are just evil people. Without Jesus, like, we, we are just the worst, okay? And that's what I've heard. And, and I definitely agree with that to a certain extent, But Jesus actually says, he directly says that people are good for the most part. If if a child asks their parent for bread, does the parent give them a stone, you know, or a snake or whatever it is? I'm not directly looking at it, but you guys get the idea, right? Like Jesus is saying, no, in general, people are good. They're good to those that they care about and love. Okay? The problem is, is then when you get to enemies and people you don't know or care about or love, that's where the problem comes in. And that's where we actually, as Christians, step up and demonstrate love for our enemies, Amen. praying for those who persecute us, those type of things. And the thing is, is that all the different sides, all the different ways that people, we, we all in general, I, I believe for the most part, that we all are trying to do the same thing. We just disagree on how to do it. Like, when I vote this way and I I fall in line on these different things, it's because I think that's what's best to take care of the people that I love and know. And these people over here who disagree with me, I, I have to believe they're probably doing the same thing. They just think that they're going to get there a different way. Right. And, and so that's where we need to be curious and not judgmental because, well, if I really sat and had a conversation with this person and I was asking questions for understanding, not just to figure out how I could argue with them and prove them wrong and, and, and make myself right and show like, that this is really the way to go, but I really just understood them, whether or not they change or not, whether or not I change or not, that understanding at least should bring me to a point of connection with them. Oh, you're doing that because you love these people? That's why I'm doing this. And they go against each other, but I can't fault you in your understanding for doing the things the way that you do. And I, I hope you don't fault me for doing that because here's the deal. We do the things we do because we believe that they're the right things. But I don't know, we may not be right. Yeah. Did, you guys know that, right? Yeah. You might be wrong somewhere in your life, yeah. okay? Um, and if you need scripture to back that up, uh, now we see in like a broken mirror, okay? Then when Christ comes, we shall see fully and we shall be fully known. But now we kind of see dim and it's a broken image and we don't quite get it. Uh, and we're not God, just in case I have to remind you guys of that. We're not God, so we don't really know everything, even though we'd like to think we do. We don't really understand everything, even though we like to think we do. Um, we're, you know, like sheep. And sheep are stupid. 
right? Have you watched YouTube videos of sheep? The one who gets pulled out of like this crevice and set back down and then immediately like jumps back in to the, to the hole that he was stuck in or the one where all the sheep are running along this like path and this one sheep decides to jump and hits a gate and like hits its head and bounces back and then starts running. Like sheep to us, that's how we are to God. Okay? We are the idiot that keeps jumping back into the thing we are stuck in no matter how many times he pulls us out, and, and we're the idiot that's like, ooh, this is fun, we're all running together, let me jump and slam into a wall. Like, like that's just who we, so we, we need to have a good reality and view of ourselves uh, in order to really see this through. <clears throat> um, so here's My encouragement to you to not be judgmental and be curious, I hope you don't feel like I'm making you feel guilty, okay? That was the one directive I was given <laughs> for speaking, is no guilt, no guilt, which I absolutely love. It's one of the, I, I think you and I had that conversation the first time I met you of, this is kind of how we operate, this is who we are as the body of Christ. Uh, I think even you and I, Steve, had, had that conversation as well. We had great conversations the first time, and I was like, oh, I really like these guys. I really like you guys. Like, you're my people. Uh, you're a little different because you're up here in Wyoming, and I grew up overseas, like, and, I'm, I, and really, I, I take the full brunt of blame for the, well, actually, my parents do, but uh, we'll get into that in a second. Um, how am I doing on time, by the way? I have no idea. They have no idea? All right, sweet. Yeah, no one's complaining, so we'll see how this goes. Um, but it, scripturally even, you shouldn't feel guilt, okay? Guilt as a noun, I'm going to give you a little, little definition time just in case you need it. Guilt as a noun, guilt is the fact of having committed a specific or implied offense or crime. How many of us are guilty of a crime? All right, Sorry. Let me theologically bring us back. How many of us are sinful? Okay. All right. Sweet. Uh, so you're guilty of a crime. But here's the deal. Are you guilty of that crime anymore? No. You're not. Scripture is very clear. There is now no condemnation in Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ. Okay? So it's that type of thing, and it's... it's yeah, this is a point of tension for Christians in general, but the scripture is pretty clear. Like, Jesus came, he died, his God, the Father, his judgment was in that one point. He exists out of time. I'm not going to get into all of this type of stuff, but he sees that one point of he who was, he who had no sin became sin so that we could be righteous. So, in that one moment where Jesus takes all the sin ever, and dies, and the Father judges him, judges that sin, there's no guilt now. Okay? So as a noun, you're not guilty. So I'm not guilting you. Okay? Just pointing that out. Now as a verb, and this is really where it comes into play. <laughs> so, oh, here, let me, let me again, just because I don't want you guys to think I'm heretical or anything. I... Uh, I do have, uh, so Romans 8, 1, there's now no condemnation in Christ. Uh, this, is, this is where we get hung up. And again, I'm playing into the judgmental thing. How do we know who's in Christ then? Who's in the club? Who isn't? So this makes me think of the parable of the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the false wheat. Hopefully you're familiar with that story. If not, basically, the disciples ask, well, how do we know? This is a paraphrase. How do we know? And Jesus answers like he normally does, either with a question or a parable, in this case, a parable. And he says, well, so here's the deal. There's a farmer, he planted a bunch of wheat, then there's an enemy who came and threw in a bunch of fake wheat, all right? And your tendency is going to be, well, let's go pick out the fake wheat. But the problem is, is we really suck at that because you can't tell the difference between what's good and what's evil. We may have the knowledge of good and evil, but we're horrible at knowing what's in people's hearts. So we don't really know. I mean, look at David, a man after God's own heart, right? And the things, two things he's most known for is sleeping with another man's wife and killing that guy. 
Okay, and it wasn't like the declaration of a man after God's own heart happened after he was dead and it was like, no, like he was a man after God's own heart. Like his heart isn't, if you were to look at his life at that time, no way, man, that guy doesn't love God or people. So we don't know. We're horrible at this. And, and in the explanation, this is in Matthew 13, by the way, <clears throat> in the explanation, even in the end, we are not the ones who go through and separate and decide. In the end, it's Jesus who sends the angels. And even at one point in scripture, Jesus says, I don't know, like the father knows. Okay. So we really need to get ourselves out of the seat of trying to decide who's in or out. You know, when Jesus was being crucified by thousands of people, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He wasn't dead yet. The Father hadn't judged him yet in terms of the sin. Like, this is the whole God's outside of time thing. He sees everything all at once. Like, so whatever. Uh, We're experiencing it as it's happening. But the idea of Jesus is offering forgiveness for a group of people that hate him and at that point are not showing any inclination that they're going to choose him at some point. And he hasn't died yet, so it's not like, well, how can he really offer the forgiveness? He's not dead, so the sacrifice hasn't happened, the judgment hasn't happened, right? So how do, like, are they really, wait, are they really forgiven? So there's an aspect of like, you know what? There's now no condemnation in Christ. That's what we run with. So in Christ, somehow, all this works out. Um, So let's be curious and not judgmental and not try to figure out who is who. Let's just offer forgiveness and love our enemies just like Jesus did. And this brings us to 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. We no longer look at people the way that we used to, okay? Anyone, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And again, this is where pronouns become an issue. Reconciled us to himself. So then we're like, okay, it's us, not them. But that's not the case here. If you go with the context of the passage, he's reconciling, well, here, we'll just keep reading it and it's finishing. Reconciling the world to himself. Do you know what the word is for, because the word world in English means a whole lot of things, like be in the world, but not of the world. Uh, God so loved the world. So for God so loved the world, which you brought up, right? And I was so glad you did. Uh, And this passage, they have the same Greek word. Does anyone know what that is? cosmos okay and if we know what the cosmos is what is that it's everything so for god so agape and if you know what agape is that's the unconditional all-encompassing love that god has so for god so agape the cosmos that he gave his one and only son and in this it's the same word that uh in christ God was reconciling the cosmos to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That situation is just those who have accepted that life now and are being made new. And so those of us who have woken up to that reality, okay, woke. When I say that, how many of you kind of (laughs) like... Again, it's one of those words, and we'll get into the application uh, in a sec, um, of it, it's really just further along the path and realize what, what he's done. We want to help others realize that. That's what we're doing. We're bringing this message of reconciliation. So in terms of the verb, the guilt, to uh, guilt someone in order to induce them to do something, I'm not going to do that to you as well. The love of Christ compels us. We see that the Spirit brings understanding, so there's not really any words that I'm going to think up that, it, you know, if this, if this person's closed off and the Spirit's not moving in them, First uh, Corinthians 2 is pretty evident about that, that the Spirit brings understanding. In John 16, the Spirit convicts, and the problem that we get into is that we just don't trust God. That's right. When it comes down to it, I don't trust God. God, you're not 
making the vote go this way. You're not changing this person as quickly or in the way that I want you to, so I need to do something about it. Rather than going with the phrase that is probably one of the most prominent phrases in the Bible spoken to, to people who will listen, wait on the Lord. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> I don't know about you, I am not a patient person, uh, especially when I want him to do something for me. Uh, and so no guilt, but join me in the boat of not trusting the Lord uh, very well. Um, I'm going to skip the shame part. I actually love talking about shame, uh, not shaming people, but I love talking about shame because there's, yeah. So if you're interested in talking about shame, uh, please let me know. Uh, this may not be a good reason to judge me. Let me give you a couple of reasons that might be better uh, that you can judge me. Um, so I'm a third culture kid. How many of you know what a third culture kid is? Okay, awesome, couple. Uh, so a third culture kid is a kid who their parents are of one culture. So in my case, my parents are American. But you grow up, you grow up. So if you're an adult and you go overseas and you live overseas for a while, you're what's called a cross-cultural person, okay? So but a third culture person or kid, third culture kid, is someone who parents are from one culture and then they grow up in a second culture, which then makes a third culture. And how this works is my parents are American, but from nine to 17 years old, I grew up in Japan. My friends were Japanese, I spoke Japanese. Uh, during middle school, I thought I was Japanese for a while. I even had a teacher who was like, Anthony, is, and she's an old Japanese lady. She's like, is your mom or grandma Japanese or something? Like, because my accent was perfect. Uh, I sounded like a Japanese, and depending on how I shaved, I know at middle school, I don't have hair here, but I had plenty all over the place. Um, <laughs> I thought I wanted to be Japanese. I thought I was Japanese. But here's the deal. When Japanese people look at me, they don't think I'm Japanese, okay? Uh, I'm a white guy, uh, an American. To them, to the Americans, I'm a weirdo. And then when I come to the States, so, so think about this. I left the States when I was nine. I come back when I'm 17. So most of my conscious life at this point has been in Japan. I come to the States, I start dating my girlfriend, now wife, and she hears me say the phrase all the time, Americans are stupid. <laughs> and then she says to me, you know you're an American, right? <laughs> and I'm like, whatever. Uh, but here's the deal, like that is, that, that is in me. Like I'm not really an American. And one of the benefits of being, I think, Lord willing, uh, God, I hope so. Otherwise, I've been fooling myself. One of the benefits of being American, and, and, and I don't want to disrespect 9-11. I don't want to disrespect. I mean, I work, for, work with the military, for crying out loud. We love and serve military people. But I have a hard time being an American. What I don't have a hard time with is seeing that there is a kingdom that's greater than America. There's a kingdom that's greater than Rome. There's a kingdom that we're told cannot be shaken and that's the kingdom of God. And typically, most third culture kids who follow the Lord, they grasp the kingdom mindset a lot quicker. So, so that's a benefit. The downside is that when I talk with Americans and I say things like, man, Americans are stupid. I just don't get America. What is wrong with these people? Then you're like, what is wrong with you? And why are you working with military people then? Especially when you find out that I'm a nonviolent person in my theology. If you don't know what nonviolent is, you can think pacifist. I don't like the word pacifist because that means that it's kind of, well, I'm just sitting around not doing anything. I'm a very active person. I'm very actively nonviolent. It takes a lot of energy to be nonviolent. When someone offends you, it's easy to haul off and just want to smack them or say something to them. I'm really good with words. I can criticize and make fun and cut people down like nobody's business. I had to work very hard, very actively to not do that. So I don't like the word pacifism, but I also don't believe in wars and guns and, and violence. And I had a soldier figure that out one time. In 20 years of military ministry, I'm meeting with him at the food court in Grafenberg in Germany, and we're having lunch, and uh, we're going through this passage, and this is like, I think, year three with him. He's been a part of our ministry for three years. He's like, Anthony, sounds like you're a pacifist. And I was like, well, I don't like that word, but yeah, I'm nonviolent. And he's like, oh, cool. <laughs> and, and we just kept going. 
In 20 years, that was the only time that ever came up. And it wasn't an issue because it's not really the issue. These people are sacrificing their lives. They're doing what they think is best. Again, in my understanding of where they're coming from, I get why they're fighting. I get why they're doing stuff. But I'm going to let you in on something here with the military. Most of the people in the military, they're not like patriots. And they're not like courageous and we're going to go and serve our country. There's a lot of people who are that. Most of them are, my life sucks and I need financial help. I need stability. I need discipline. You know, they may not actually consciously think those things, but they're like, I need to get out of my life and go, go into another life that's going to be hopefully different and they're going to take care of me. So, hey, you want to go to college? Join the military. Hey, you want a paycheck and health care and... and you want socialism in America? Join the military. <laughs> like, that's, that's really what it is. And, and so, but, so when you understand that, it's like, okay, I get that. I get why you made that decision. For those who are patriotic and those who do want to fight and the reasons that they have, yeah, I get that. I understand that. I don't have to judge you on that. You don't have to judge me on that. And, and here's the deal. Even if I thought you were wrong and even if we were fighting against you and you're my enemy, What does the Bible say about enemies? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And even if I disagree with you, I still have to believe that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, you're made in the image of God, and and I should respect that, even though you bore me to tears. I don't understand it. You're made in the image of God, yet somehow I can't stand to be around you. Um, There's those people in life, you know, you just have to pick and choose your relationships maybe a little more carefully. Um, and so let me get into the application here. So hopefully, again, in that, that little section, I gave you plenty to judge me on. Um, you can practice the whole be curious, not judgmental. I invite you to come talk to me, ask questions. And, and again, I obviously believe the things I do because I, I think that I'm right. But I also know at my base level that I'm probably not right in a lot of ways. Uh, maybe in all ways. <laughs> um, hopefully not. So James... 119. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For the anger of man and women does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, receive with humility the implanted word, the word being Jesus, uh, which is able to save your and the Bible says soul here. I don't like that word because I'm not a Greek philosopher. The Greek word is psyche. It saves your person. It saves who you are, okay? But be doers of the word. Well, let me, let me say that again. Therefore, put away all of this stuff and receive Jesus who is able to save you as a person. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a person who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself or herself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. You kind of glance at it and you're like, I don't care. I didn't really pay attention. I didn't really look. I didn't really study. I didn't really give it any thought. But the one who looks into the perfect law, and again, I don't like the word law because a majority of the Old Testament is not law. A majority of the Old Testament is story with little bits of teaching here and there. And then you hear a story of how this all plays out. So my understanding of this word in all of my studies is that it's really it's teaching is the, the word. That's what I, I get from it. Uh, the instruction, the teaching. Um, when we say law these days, we, I, I feel like we get too into rules and stuff. And that's, I don't think, what he's saying here. Uh, But the one who looks into the perfect instruction or teaching, the instruction of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks they're religious and does not bridle their tongue, but deceives their heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You don't have to keep others unstained from the world. That is not your job. Your job is not to to stop everyone else from sinning. Your job is to keep yourself following the Lord and doing the best that you can. Uh, 
I forget her name. I think it might be Rosario Butterfield. Um, but she says, love the sinner, hate your own sin. <laughs> and I love that because you, I barely have control over myself, let alone anybody else. So I'm going to hate what's evil inside of me, and I'm going to ask the Lord to take care of that. And then I'm going to pray for you, but I'm not going to try and control you. Amen. Be curious, not judgmental. And then finally, if you really do want to try and help rid the world of evildoers and lawbreakers, verse 28 has a little something for us. Uh, those who forsake the law, and this kind of plays into the driving thing. <laughs> uh, Driving is probably my biggest area of struggle for judgment and sin. Uh, that's why I don't drive much anymore, other than the six-hour drive to get here. Um, it's pretty chill, though. I like driving in Wyoming. Like, I like you guys here. Uh, anyways, Denver, not so much. Now, in fairness, most of Denver now is, you know, Californians, Texans, and uh, Pennsylvania. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, it's so easy. It's so easy. <laughs> but Proverbs 28, 4 and 5, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Another translation is basically like, if you want to fight against lawbreakers, obey the law. Amen. It doesn't say fight them. You just do what you're supposed to do. If I use my turn signal at the appropriate time, then maybe all the other idiots in the world that don't use their turn signals will see me doing it and be like, oh, that's a good idea. I should probably do that. They may not, but that's not my problem. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. <laughs> I don't understand anything completely. <laughs> But I appreciate that this just gives credence to the idea that in Proverbs, it's a general problem, okay? It's not like if you follow this, this your life's going to be all hunky-dory. Uh, so how can I fault someone who does not understand justice? How can I, I, how I fight evil and injustice is to obey the laws and to live out justice. And then do I really want God to punish lawbreakers? Because if I do, then I'm going to be right there with him, with all of them. Um, and that goes to the whole, well, I'm not going to judge because I don't want to be judged. And so the connection with cadence, I'm going to give you the application here. Um, I'm going to be back there after the service, uh, and I'll have, we got some new stickers. They're pretty cool. Uh, my coworker and one of my longtime friends, she designed them. Uh, we also have kind of revised a little bit of what our, like, philosophy is, and it's called the cadence way. So I'm going to share with you about that uh, real quick, and then I'm going to try and translate it for you because uh, I know you guys just came out of a be, like, be neighborly or a neighbor's type uh, message. Um, pardon me. Um, and so I'm going to try and translate that for, because again, we want to be doers, not just hearers. So hopefully, I'm not saying this is the law, you need to do this, but maybe it's some things. Does anyone have a tissue by chance? Actually, you know what? I got a sweatshirt. Yet another purpose. Um, so to give you an idea in cadence, here's five things that we do well as cadence in ministering to the military. One, we stay. We stay. In a transient and mobile military community, cadence offers stability, strength, and consistency over the long haul to each installation we serve. Maybe not personally as missionaries, but overall as an organization, we make sure that people are there because the military is constantly changing. They're constantly uh, unstable. They're constantly experiencing insecurity, which then also really opens up the message of the gospel for them. Okay, they get it. And we as Cadence can hopefully be stability for them. We can be the gospel for them. Uh, we serve. Cadence enjoys favor with the military community and has, proven, has a proven reputation of serving military personnel and families in general and chaplains in particular. We shape. Cadence staff are experts in creating and sustaining biblical life-changing fellowships within the military community. We send. Cadence ministries are constantly releasing military people transformed by Christ to live for him wherever he sends them. I love this part because the military exists in about 150 out of the 210 or 11 countries that are in the world, a lot of which missionaries cannot get into. So if we disciple military people and they love the Lord and they go to Afghanistan or somewhere and they're dealing with people, but they're dealing in a Christ-loving way, 
and they are living out the gospel even in the midst of a military framework, that's amazing, you know? Uh, we strive. Military ministry is all Cadence does. It is our one focus, passion, and joy. Cadence gives its all to the global military communities we serve. I'm going to have this back there. If that sounded cool to you or you want to know a way that you can pray for us, because obviously this is the ideal. <laughs> we still have to live that out somehow. Uh, I'll have these back there. And then also it can be a reminder for you. Um, here's, and this is the last part. Sorry, I don't know the timing and everything. Sorry if I've been long. You stay. You invest in relationships over the long haul. Wherever you live, get to know the people that live around you. And you're there. Be there. Be with them. And be curious, not judgmental. Why is that guy mowing on Sunday? Doesn't he know it's the Sabbath? Why are they mowing during my nap time? You know, like, go out and mow with them. Get a nap some other time. Or ask them, hey, just out of curiosity, why do you mow during this time? And any chance you can change that? <laughs> um, you know, maybe start with understanding and then, you know, move to change later. You serve... Become known by your neighbors as servants. If you don't like them mowing your lawn, their lawn during your nap time, go and mow it for them in the morning. That way they don't have to do it during your nap time. You know, that, these are just suggestions. You can take it. You shape as your life is being transformed. You should then be a part of equipping and transforming those around you. Okay? You affect, we don't exist in a vacuum or a void. You affect each other. You send. Those that are called from this congregation. I need, I need more workers. Sorry, guys. I don't mean to take anyone away from you, but if you're interested in joining Cadence, then the body here, you should send them. Encourage that calling. Or America is becoming so much more transient these days. People are traveling, working remotely. You can send people that you know are going to be going like, hey, we're still behind you. Just because you're leaving doesn't mean that you're leaving this relationship. We're still with you, and we're going to send you into your next uh, stage of life. And you strive. Be intentional and vigilant. I don't just wear that stuff. I don't mindlessly put on clothes. It's really nerve-wracking, to be honest, but almost everything I do, I think about before I do it. Not, a, <laughs> not everything, but almost everything, and it's tiring. It's exhausting uh, because I am so impulsive, uh, but my wife and the Lord have beat that out of me, at least to the extent it used to be. I was literally, literally off the charts. Like they did not, I did not go within the range of impulsivity uh, when I did a psychological test at first with cadence. Uh, my wife, one of her main needs after this test was stability and security. So they were like, so how do you think that's going to work out on the mission field? You're over here and she's needing like you to be in the middle. Like uh, it's worked. God has, God has uh, covered it. A lot of times we can get into autopilot mode in life, cruise control. And so for you to strive, you're not striving for your salvation. That's already been taken care of. We know that the guilt is gone. Hopefully you're growing into new life in Christ, but your striving is your intentionality. It's your vigilance to keep going, to run that marathon, to run that race, to walk the marathon, to crawl it, uh, to walker it. I don't know, like to lay down, but still be conscious about it. Uh, whatever it is, be intentional and be vigilant. Um, so yeah, let me just close this in prayer. Um, and, and again, for all of this, if you don't remember anything, just be curious and not judgmental. Withhold your judgment and just seek understanding. Uh, the last illustration of this, have any of you read Ender's Game? Okay. Absolutely. My favorite storyline of all time. Ender's Game is actually an expansion of a short novel, a novella. And the reason it was created is because uh, Orson Scott Card wanted to write this book called Speaker for the Dead, and he needed context. A lot of people fell in love with Ender's Game. The real book, in my opinion, is Speaker for the Dead. And Speaker for the Dead, the whole point of Speaker for the Dead is that people die, and there's these situations where they die. It's like an abusive father, a drunk uh, husband, that kind of thing, where people go to the funeral, and you're like, I don't have anything good to say about this guy. Like, they were just mean and self-absorbed and like what what is there to celebrate and a speaker for the dead would come in and they would get to know this person as best they could they would get to know every aspect of their lives oh well you know what yeah he was an alcoholic 
and he was abusive because he was struggling with the tension of, well, I want to provide this type of life for my wife and my kids, but I've put myself in a situation that I can't control and it's overwhelming me and killing me. And the only way that I can deal with that is by drinking. And I'm angry at all this because none of it's working out the way that I want to. And so the only way that I express that is by hitting people. And then those people, they, they're like, oh, well, I didn't realize that they were struggling with that. I didn't realize they were going through that. That makes sense. It may not make it better, but it makes sense. And so it brings peace to these people's lives. And spoiler alert, Ender's Game, the way that Ender is able to overcome during Ender's Game is because he, he comes to know his enemy so closely that he can then use what he knows to destroy them, which is really interesting. It ends up destroying him when he does it. And I think that's where the Christian life comes in. Following Christ is that we get to know our enemies so well and so much that we then love them unconditionally. We don't destroy them because <laughs> that would then destroy us and destroy the body. But we, we get to know our enemies and we understand them and that makes us love them even more. And that's the point of being curious and not judgmental. And I believe that that's the point of the gospel is for us to love our enemies and pray for them so that we can then fall in love with them and be in relationship with them. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, uh, but we also don't love you so much. Uh, so please help us to do that. We believe, but we also have doubts and unbelief. Help us with that. Spirit, you are the one who does the work now. Uh, you are the gift to us. Help us to trust you. Father, we don't see you or, or really know you that well. And some of us if you're like me, you've never really had a father or you don't know what it's like to have a healthy father relationship. And so I just don't get that. So I pray that you would help me to understand that. I pray that you would help me to be curious and not judgmental about how you do things. I pray that you would help me to be curious about those around me and about this life that you've given uh, and help me to ask good questions, questions to understand, not questions to convict or questions uh, to uh, ridicule or criticize or questions to just get my point across, Lord, but that I would truly be a disciple, a learner, uh, someone who wants to grow and be transformed. Help, help me to do that, and those in this room that also want to do that, help us, Lord. Um, yeah, we love you. Help us love you more. We love those around us. Help us to do that better. In Jesus' name, amen.